Hi everyone, welcome to Hot Seat with Cognizant Clay. I am your host, Clayton Terrio. Today on the show, we have Kate Strom. Kate grew up with a disabled sister who was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. She wrote a book called Siblings, Brothers and Sisters of Children with Disability. She also started the charity Siblings Australia, which provides a support system for siblings of those with disabilities. I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, first of all, Kate, again, thank you for doing this. I really do appreciate it. It's it's really cool. And uh, it's you're a long way away from me. So it's pretty, <laughs> pretty cool that we can connect over a computer. It's definitely uh, interesting. I know techno <clears throat> technology can be pretty amazing, can't it? Yes. And so well, just to start off, I'm, I'm curious to know how has COVID affected life in Australia? Well, it depends where you are. Uh, where I am in the south of Australia, we had a uh, lockdown for a short while early on. And then it, you know, everybody's still fairly careful, but the, you know, we have been pretty free to go as we please, where we please, just being careful. But there are um, some other places in Australia that have been had a second lockdown because they were showing increased numbers. And so that's been really hard on, on especially uh, Victoria, one of the states here that uh, has been in pretty full lockdown now for several months. They came out of lockdown and then they went back in. So we're really feeling for our fellow fellow Australians there. And, uh, but no, I've been lucky, touch wood, that it, after an initial period of time, it hasn't been too bad. Right. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad it hasn't been too bad there. It's been pretty bad in my part of the world, the States especially. It's hit them pretty well, hard. Yes. And, you know, I've really felt for a lot of people who obviously have done it a lot um, you know, a lot harder than I have. And especially I think people who are locked in to a house where, you know, there might be a lot of young children or, or children with disability or, you know, where it is very difficult to go out. And I think just obviously, you know, being shut away at home has really increased the pressures on a lot of families. Yeah, it has, unfortunately. So the first thing I wanted to touch on was, your relationship with the disabled community and that was your sister who was born with cerebral palsy and what was your relationship like with your sister as a young girl well she was four years older than me and um you know we i guess for me it was very difficult because i didn't understand what was going on and um you know she required a lot of attention uh, I'd often be quite scared because she would have seizures uh, and um, she couldn't talk, but she'd make loud noises. So I think growing up, there was a, a little sense of caution there. I think my mother had to um, be very careful when I was a baby uh, because, again, my sister didn't understand and she'd often, you know, be sort of um, a little bit aggressive to me. And, and so my mother had to be fairly vigilant with that. She had a, a really fun-loving personality, and I think we had a lot of fun together, but it was difficult to communicate. And as I said, I think as young children, siblings often don't understand what's going on. And then I think as I became older and surpassed her capabilities, then it became quite difficult um, in terms of, 
you know, feeling guilty about the things I could do that she couldn't do and, and the grief of not being able to do things with her that other brothers and sisters did. And, and I guess feeling in many ways the pain of my parents because she did take a lot of care and, and um, I think we all felt the grief in terms of her challenges and, you know, every day was difficult for her. It was difficult to eat. It was difficult to talk and get her message across. It was difficult to walk. And, and so, you know, I think there were a lot of stresses in the family, but we were a very close supportive family at the same time. And um, so, yes, that closeness was really important, but um, the reality was, you know, that there was still a lot of pressures Definitely. And I think, I think any sibling, it's, it's hard to relate as well, because you don't know what they're going through fully apart from what you see. And, and unless you're in their brain, it's hard. And, and what were some of the lessons you learned from your sister? Yeah. And it's really hard to do that. I think, um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people talk about learning, um, about diversity and the and difference and in some ways compassion and empathy and all of those things, um, which, you know, I think I definitely learnt. But, you know, I also reflect that I would easily give up those things if my sister could have had a life that was much easier. Um, and so I find it difficult when people bring it back to themselves and talk about, you know, the things they gained uh, at the expense of their brother or sister. And, and I think uh, for me, I find that quite difficult. Um, and yes, you know, I guess the other gift she gave me in many ways was that um, when I was in my forties, I really explored my own experiences uh, as a sibling and ended up writing a book and then ended up starting Siblings Australia. And, and that experience over the last 21 plus years has been really just phenomenal in many ways. And we can talk about that a bit more later, but, you know, certainly, you know, I wouldn't have had those experiences had it not been um, for my sister. The other thing I guess I did learn from her and a lot of people do talk about this is that unconditional love where, uh, you know, whilst when we were little, she'd be quite aggressive and, and all of those sorts of things, you know, as we got older, she just adored my husband and my two daughters um, and was very much a part of our family. And, you know, you'd walk in the door at the, at the supported accommodation that she lived in and, you know, she would just rush for us. And, and so, you know, that was pretty special too. I think that's that's very relatable to me because with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, it's not that I couldn't have children, but it would be very hard to support them. So my sister has two little ones and it's like, it's you can live vicariously through my sister, right? So it's it's a very precious thing to have when you're disabled, some nieces and nephews and just some, maybe a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law. And it, it really is, it really is special to be able to share that for sure. So you mentioned the book, so that was titled Being the Other One, correct? Well, it's a little bit confusing because originally it was published in Australia as siblings, brothers and sisters of children with special needs. I've since changed that. But then it was published in the US and they changed the title and it was pretty much the same book. I think there were just a couple of words changed to fit the 
American language a little bit more. And then I did a revised edition of my original book, um, which was then called Siblings, Brothers and Sisters of Children with Disability. Uh, it was also published in the UK under another name. And so they're all, the revised edition, even though it feels like it's the same book, I did make a lot of changes to it. And and that really, and so it does, it is a little bit um, con confusing in many ways because I love the book being the other one. I love the picture on the cover, and but it's really the older version. And so I try and get people to find the one that, I've actually got one here that has the revised edition on the corner and it looks very different to being the other one. Um, but yeah, they're all like children, I guess I'm proud of all of them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's definitely, it's definitely cool. And do, do you remember when it kind of clicked in your mind that you wanted to write the book? Well, I do actually, I write in the book, um, about how, you know, I had struggled a lot, um, for many years with anxiety and, and finally uh, found somebody who could help me process that and understand the grief and the, the various feelings that I had. And, and I started to read a little bit about being a sibling and it was really quite amazing to sort of realise that I wasn't the only one, that other people had similar feelings. And I remember my children went to a school where there was um, a unit that supported children with disability. And I saw a, a set of twins, one who had disability and one who didn't. And I had this overriding sense of wanting to, you know, yell out to these people that were looking after both these children, you know, look out for this one, <laughs> you know, make sure you remember the, the sibling. And, and of course it wasn't appropriate, but I remember that night I woke up in the middle of the night and, and my husband woke up as well and I said, I've got to write a book about this. I've got to let people know what this is all about. And, and so that was really the seed that, that started it. And as I write in my book, he wasn't so enthusiastic at three o'clock in the morning, but he then went on to support me with the process of writing the book. And, and that I thought it was a very scary thing to do. And I thought I would never be able to write it in many ways. Um, but I'm so glad I did. And it has put me in contact with so many people around the world and has been such an amazing experience to connect with people around those um, issues. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I'm definitely going to get a copy of it because it, it, I was reading just the excerpt on Google about it and it just seems it's, it's definitely very interesting for sure to read that kind of perspective. And, and what did you hope to achieve from writing that book? Well, I think I, I wrote it for three different audiences, one for adult siblings, one for parents, and then and also for providers. And I guess what I wanted to achieve was to give siblings a voice, give siblings um, that idea that they weren't the only ones, which I think is such, a, such a, an important message for siblings to have. And I wanted to help parents understand and also providers so that people would be more aware that even though this child looks and behaves like everything's fine, that it you know, all may not be as it seems, that there might be some inner uh, worries that that child has. And I think to remind people that often um, it is children who are dealing with these stresses that 
you know, as adults, we understand why that child behaves the way they do or why they get the extra attention or, you know, all of those sorts of things. But as children, you know, we have the cognitive and emotional capacity of children. And I think we need to help people understand that. And I think it's about, you know, it's interesting. It's a bit like you'd be aware, I'm sure, of uh, a woman in Australia, Stella Young, who talked about inspiration porn. And I think it's a little bit similar with siblings where we seem to be categorised in groups of, you know, if somebody raises their hand, you know, often on discussion groups, I've seen a sibling put up their hand and say, oh, we need support. And, and often the term pity party comes up. And on the other extreme, there's people who say, you know, oh, you're such a wonderful brother or sister. And, you know, I couldn't do what you do. And it's that sort of, you're either a saint or a, you know, sinner or, and it's sort of that sense of, I think siblings don't want pity. We just want people to understand that it can be difficult and we just need a little bit of support. And for me, that support for siblings has a much bigger outcome, I think. For me, it's around, very much around supporting a sibling so that they can reach their potential. They can have greater capacity to build a good life for themselves. But if we do that, then that sibling is going to be much more able to contribute to developing a good life for the person with disability. That relationship is key. And if we support siblings, they're much more likely to stay involved and, and add to the social inclusion, the well-being, the all connectedness, all of those things for people with disability. Definitely. And I, I think those supports are, are still lacking in a lot of ways, whether it be the sibling or the disabled, the, diagno the person with the diagnosis. And it's, it's, you know, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is to just show the disabled well i guess really show the non-disabled community that we're very valuable to the to society as well and maybe even exactly. more so than a lot of people because of the perspective we give and and just some of the amazing things we do the, the one thing i always mention is the the paralympics those paralympians are amazing people and it's almost like they aren't disabled when they're competing and it's it, it really blows my mind and it's it's definitely very interesting. I, I gotta read your book. It seems very cool for sure. Um, so I'm gonna take a break from the questions for a minute. I do a segment with my guests called Rapid Fire where I just Ooh. ask random questions. <laughs> See, that's not the first time I've gotten that reaction. They're not, <laughs> don't worry about being too quick. It's okay. Um, well, first question, who is your favorite person from Australia? Oh, heavens, that is a tricky one. Um, I guess one of my first things is, is thinking about politics. Um, and my favourite person would be Tanya Plibersek, who is um, a, a parliamentarian. Um, at a more personal level, um, it's really hard because my family is so important to me and I've lost my family of origin, but my husband and two, two daughters are very, so, you know, they're my favourite people, I guess. Um, and I'm sure there's others. Um, I love Claire Bowditch, who's a singer. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure when I get off this, I'll think of obvious ones that I should have thought of. But because it's rapid fire, I can't be expected at my age to remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's uh it's definitely hard even for everybody I, I always stump people on that but it's it's interesting to hear mine would be steve Irwin. i absolutely adored steve <laughs> Irwin as a young man Aww. i've always been an animal lover and he was just funny interesting and smart all in one so i loved him yeah. and what is your favorite thing to eat oh definitely chocolate gelati that's a good one i like <laughs> or gelato in in, in in yeah. Italy, it's gelato. <laughs> yeah, of course. And who would be your, I, I'm going to go top three favorite musicians or bands. Well, I love Katie Lang. I um, also love Coldplay. Yeah, And again, I know there's others, but then I would have to say, my daughters because they are musicians and one in particular is is um has just been recording some music on her own with a producer and i can't wait for them to be released um because they've been singing together for quite a while but they've each got other interests and um one of them in particular has um done this recordings these recordings of these songs that she's written and and they've written quite a few songs over the years, but these sound really special. So I'm looking forward to them coming out. That's great. That's awesome to hear. Um, and this is this one's always hard as well. I always ask this one because I've gotten so many different answers. If you could be anyone, living or dead, for 24 hours, who would you be? Um, Michelle Obama. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, again, there's so many people, so many people. Um, I mean, that's one. I guess I'd love to be someone who's really adventurous, you know, and who climbs mountains or do, does things like that because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a bit timid when it comes to those sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, um, oh, gosh, that's hard. Um, Maybe I'll, I, I always wanted to be, um, you know, if, I guess the question, you know, thinking about who I'd have for a dinner party, I always thought I'd have Michelle and Barack and Steffi and Andre Agassi. Um, and, um, you know, I think I've always had a lot of respect, I guess, for Steffi and Andre and, you know, what they've done in terms of their charitable contributions and all of those sorts of things as well. But, um and the other person, yeah, would be the other one I'd love to be is a singer, a famous singer, somebody like Katie Lang or Claire Bowditch or um, someone like that. Definitely be interesting. Well, that's all I have for rapid fire. So don't worry, you're out of the woods now. <laughs> so just getting back into the questions, and this is the main thing that I did this for because it's actually my mom that found it. I always give credit when my mom finds guests. She's found, about, she's found about 15 of the 35 I've done, including you. So there you go. Without her, I don't think I'd, go. I've done as many. So you established the charity Siblings Australia in 1999. And I'm just looking down at my notes to make sure I get this right. So it was founded to support children and adults who have disabled siblings. And just to start off, what was your thought process of starting that and how how did it come about? How did, how did you end up starting it? I'm curious about that. 
Well, again, I was living in the US and um, at a period when I was first starting to think about writing my book. And I um, actually was involved in a discussion group for siblings um, run by the Sibling Support Project in um, Seattle. And I was aware that there was a project for siblings in the US and I was aware of the UK one, uh, which is sibs.org.uk. And and I just started to think, you know, I want to do this as well. And I'd had a, a diff, you know, I'd, I'd had fairly varied careers over the years. I originally trained as a hospital scientist and then got involved in health education and then counselling and then the media. I had a radio segment for many years and also worked as a project officer in, in health promotion. And I just thought, you know, I need to try and do something similar when I go back to Australia. And I, because I was a little bit known through the radio segment, I think when I sent out this thing to my health promotion contacts, I think it probably got a little bit distributed, maybe a little bit more than it might have ordinarily. And the head of psychological medicine at the Children's Hospital in Adelaide, uh, Dr. John Giordini, uh, got that uh, one-page flyer that I had sent out and he supported me to set up an office in his department, which was just wonderful. So, you know, none of this would have happened if it hadn't been for him supporting me in, in the beginning. And then it just sort of took on different uh, layers and, you know, we went through many years where we didn't have any funding and and I nearly gave up and and then this year we we got some funding for three years, which means that my baby has a future and, and uh, that's just been wonderful. It's been a little bit like, be careful what you wish for because it's just been a crazy six months, especially working around COVID, but it's, it's just amazing. I can't describe how wonderful it is to have staff again and, and to really think that, yes, we can make a difference again. And, and um, so, yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. It's definitely cool. And who who were some of the the main role players and figureheads when you first started it that you can remember that worked with you? Well, I think again uh, the department that I was in, John was very supportive, and I and my main um, targets were the disability community, the health community, and education because uh, you know those settings are where siblings might be noticed uh, within the disability community as siblings of children, adults with disability in the health sector because they often showed um, physical symptoms of their stresses or they developed their own mental health issues, uh, but also education because uh, schools, uh, we've got to be very careful that we don't expect schools to be all things to all people. But the reality is that you know, in working with schools, it helped them understand siblings a little more and it actually made their job easier. So they were the main players that, you know, we were targeting over the years. And then, of course, um, parents uh, and adult siblings, um, but then also policymakers. And I've done a lot of lobbying at government level, had lots of meetings with politicians, written submissions, really just trying to get siblings on the page and for people to start recognising not only the importance of what they contribute, but also what they need in terms of support, again, for that long, lifelong 
um, relationship that can be so important for the person with disability. And it's likely to be the longest relationship of any. Um, and I think one of the other things I've been trying to do is have siblings recognised separately to the um, young carer label. I'm not a fan of the young carer label for a few reasons, which I can go into if you're interested. But, you know, I think we need to be focusing more on families rather than any carer role that people may or may not be playing. Um, so, yeah, they were the main targets. For sure. And, and I actually took Curtin University in Australia does a free I don't know where Curtin University is, but I took a program online called Disability and Inclusion, and they go through all the medical versus social model and just how mm. how lacking the supports are and just what you can do to help, whether you know someone with a disability or whether you're working in healthcare, whatever, and it goes through everything and how to include the disabled community and those around them. And it was just so fascinating. like. Obviously, being disabled, I've seen the the inequality, but it's once you learn how worldwide the problem really is, it's it's really sad how much work is still to be done. And I don't know if you know who Caroline Casey is. She's from Ireland and she's a disability advocate, and she is trying to get as many companies as possible to hire disabled people, which is another issue we could get into, but. It's it's just you know it's the the ableism is is still so alive and well and I hope the future generations don't have to deal with it but we still have a long way to go unfortunately. Oh, um, definitely, and um, you know I think to that whole notion of family as being so important because they are the really the first the first step to inclusion is. Uh, within the family and then, you know, helping that child with disability then be included in the wider community as well. For sure. And I, I've got two separate questions that are, are framed the same, but I'll ask them separately. The first one is, what advice would you give to a sibling of someone who has just been diagnosed with a disability? Well, that's a difficult question because most times it, um, it's a young child and I think um, most of the work with young children um, is through parents but we also have a program called SibWorks which gets young children together to share their experiences and, and I guess the main message that I would give a young child through that or if I was talking to them is that they're not alone, that there are other children who are experiencing these things and the other thing I would do is acknowledge to them that it's difficult, um, that we understand and that, you know, we're here for them. I think a lot of siblings find it difficult to ask for help because the needs of their brother or sister are so much greater. And so it's very difficult to put up their hand and say, hey, you know, I have some need for support as well. So, you know, I would say to that little child, you know, you're not alone. Um, we're here for you. We understand that it can be tricky sometimes and you can ask us for help. Um, and, you know, I would try and give them information. I'd try and connect them with other siblings. There'd be a range of things I'd do, but I think they're the two important things is to um, tell them they're not alone and acknowledge them. 
Definitely. And like you say, it is hard with a small child, but I mean, it's, it's just in case any parents or siblings are watching, I, I figured that'd be great. And the, the other advice question is what advice would you give to someone looking to start a charity? Because you obviously have firsthand experience with that. Oh, look, that again is a really difficult question. A lot of it is just, you know, who's around you and, you know, I think all you can do if you want to do something is I was lucky that I had somebody who would support me at that level. But, you know, I think if somebody wants to start a charity, it's about having some people around you who can support you with that so that you're not trying to do it alone. And to just um, think about, uh, you know, who your target is, what you want to do and be very clear about that. And then, um, you know, be prepared to work for a while without funding and to set the scene and, and to then, I mean, one of the wonderful things these days is social media. And so it's much easier to connect with like-minded people. But, you know, certainly I would first up get people around me that um, supported the goal and then take it from there. And then you've got all of the structural and you know, legal things that you've got to do. So you've got to make sure that you do those correctly. Definitely. And it's, it's the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know is so very important in life. Networking is the key to success. I think, like you said, the, one of the heads of a children's hospital you had on your side. So that's a definitely a good resource to have, which is great. And, and so other than siblings australia what what are some other charities that you support or mean a lot to you uh well i think anything um to do with children and and um you know we certainly support um charities from overseas in, in uh, developing countries but also environmental um issues uh i'm um you know very concerned about the state of our world and, and the environment. So if I had more time, I'd, I'd do more in relation to that. Uh, but I'm just so busy with this charity. But, yeah, look, I think um, anything to do with vulnerable children, uh, like most people, affects me um, the most, I think. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's uh, my focus very much is on siblings. And so, um, oh, of course. Yeah, it's definitely it, it takes up a lot of your time for sure. And it's it's busy. Like I could sense even through emailing you, you are a very busy woman. And <laughs> that's why I was so grateful you, you took the time. Well, Kate, that's about all I have for you. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. And it was it was great meeting you and talking to you today. You too, Clayton. It was lovely. And um, it will be up on Friday. So, well, Friday for me, Thursday night for me, Friday for you. So I will send the link out when it's up on YouTube and hopefully you can show your family or anyone who's interested for sure. <laughs> well, all the best to you, Clayton and, and hi to Canada. And um, yeah, lovely to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Take all care. the best and, and stay well for sure. You too. All right, Bye Kate. for now. Yeah. See you later.